it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. I can never get everything I want to say in one podcast when it's someone like this, my friend Martha Hopkins. So this is part two. Now, I, I said before, Martha has been a friend to me. Martha has been a client to me. I've been a client of Martha's. We have had, we have helped each other in our careers. I don't know how else to say it. I think it's that simple. We have helped each other in our careers. Now that doesn't, you don't get lucky enough to have that happen all the time, but we were. So hello, Martha. Thank you for another podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, I need people to understand one or two things. Martha, I watched you. I mean, you put authors and publishers together all the time before you called yourself an agent. I remember thinking you should be making some money here because you did so much work getting the client and the publisher together. And I need to tell people one thing about you agenting, and here's why. Because uh, what I want to ask you is what makes you decide to take on a job? Because just like in our last podcast, you were talking about it's so much work to write a book, sell a book. Well, let me tell you something. When I have paid agents fees, they take 10, 15, 20% out of a tiny commission. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that that's all an agent has made. Okay, you know, I've said this to you. My first agent was Lisa Eckes. I would see the check she would get for something that she'd worked on for months and I think, my God, it doesn't pay your phone bill. It's a hard job. When my food styling book, so people know, Cindy and I wrote the food styling handbook and it was a hardbound copy and it was beautiful by Gibbs Smith and it was fabulous. And the price was more than I had ever anticipated. As the author, I would have liked it to have been half that price. But not my decision. Anyway, after we sold the 10,000 copies of the, that book, Gibbs Smith very nicely, which people may not know, even though we'd sold it all, said, thanks, we're not going to republish it again. Okay. And I talk to people all the time that say, oh my God, my publisher's not reprinting my book. I said, uh-huh. You know, like what's, they don't, they don't, it's an expensive book print for whatever reason. They couldn't have been nicer to me. Now here was the thing. I called Martha <laughs> crying like a big fat baby saying, no, they aren't going to reprint my book. And Martha said, but get them to sell you the plates, Denise, the design of the book. And so she told me exactly what to say. I took notes so I wouldn't look like a fool. And I got the plates to that book back super cheap. Okay. And then Martha turned around and sold it to another publisher, and we have sold since that time, uh, in a much shorter period of time, almost 10,000 books. And it became the book that I always wanted to be, soft cover, actually a handbook that stylists would take with them on a shoot. I mean, the first book was beautiful, but who's taken a, a coffee table book to, <laughs> excuse me, I have my encyclopedia here that I, I can use in front of my client. So the second book, it gave that book a whole nother life. And of course, we've sold a lot. And it, it, it's been wonderful. Only happened because of you, Martha. Right. It was such a success story. But you know how to do that. And when I've told other people that stories, they've said things like, well, why didn't my agent think of that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> maybe your agent isn't down and dirty enough. I don't know. Maybe your agent just isn't smart enough. But it was a very smart thing to do. 
Now, Martha, when people want you to be their agent, what do you look for? I look for either a book concept I really like or a platform that's really big or a person who something about them, something about their writing, not just their personality. Of course, I love, love, love to work with authors that I like. Like, of course, nice. But something about them or their writing or the way their mind works or their background where I think even if this book idea isn't a good one, could we shift it a little bit or is there just another concept altogether? There's someone I'm working with who is literally one of the most talented people that I know and she had this book idea and it may still sell, but it's a tough sell and she doesn't have a huge platform, but she is well, well known in the publishing world for her work uh, and highly respected. And so I've been sending out the query and people are like, this is going to be the most beautiful book ever, but we can't do it because it's just too obscure. I mean, that's my word, but that's the problem. And, you know, I was talking to her, I said, I've sent it out to about half the people and I'm going to follow up with them. And I've got the other half of the people, but I, and there may be somebody that wants it and that'll be great. It'll be a beautiful book, but it's probably not going to sell that much. Do you want to just change direction here? And we quickly, this is two days ago, just we're talking. I was like, what about this or this? And she's like, oh, what about that? And then she immediately, because she has this whole just catalog of work was like, what about something kind of based on this? And I was like, that's much, has much more mass market appeal. And I will say, so <clears throat> she's actually done four books already. And they're not, um, I wasn't with her at the time and they're not any of them huge sellers. And it's, well, one of them is, but it's a zillion years old. <clears throat> and it just has done well over the course of however many years. But then others were part of series. And then another one, the most recent one was by a very big publisher. And they called her and they said, this is last year. Hey, we need this turned around in two months. Uh, and we need you to write it. And then we need you to style it. And we got to get it out, get it out, get it out. So it comes out. They didn't ask her to do any marketing. They didn't care about her doing any marketing. We don't even know if they did any marketing. We don't know of anything occurring. And it was sort of could be sold to a special market. So I thought, well, maybe they've done some special sales we don't know about. Anyway, we don't even know if it was marketed at all. And we certainly don't think it sold much. And so when I sent out this query, people are writing saying, uh, her book sales aren't really all that. And so I'm explaining, well, one book's 20 years old. Two books are in a series that she has nothing to do with. And one is one that somebody just asked her to do. She turned it around and they did no marketing. This cannot be held against her. Like this is not a reflection of what she can do. But I will say much more than I thought in the past, the sales of your previous books are very important to future book deals exactly. and it can actually just put the total kibosh on it. And so for that reason, I would think carefully about any book that you're doing and will it sell? Because if it doesn't sell, then your next book may not sell only because it's your book as opposed to someone else's book idea. You said that perfectly, Martha. See, I say that to people all the time. You publish a book, 
it doesn't get big sales. It's a perfectly good book. It was a great book. You, you know what I mean? Blah, blah, oh, blah. I do want to say there appears to be no correlation between how good a book is and how well it does. I mean, great books can be successful, but bad books can be successful and great books often fail. So do not take it personally. Thank you for saying that. I get sent new cookbooks. Now, I think it's because I've been a judge for James Beard and for IACP. Do you know what I mean? So I got on somebody's list. And even though I don't work with either of those organizations in their judging anymore, I mean, I did it for a couple of years with both. It was great. I get sent all these books and these are big publishers. And of course, what the platform was, a really well-read blog, or so it says. It says that it gets a million eyes on it every month, okay? I don't know if it gets a million eyes on it. I guess there's ways to verify it. I know that some people buy numbers for Instagram and stuff. I mean, I've seen it. I've had people suggest to me that I could buy Instagram followers. And they said, Denise, all of a sudden you'll have 55,000 at the end of the week. I said, people don't, people know that that bought them. I mean, doesn't, what, what the hell do I care about something like that? Yeah. I mean, Bounce in and say, I had a, a an yeah. author who they had a very small, they had a great small platform of really dedicated followers. And I don't remember how many it was. And I said, yeah, you should work on building that some more. I think it will be easy for you based on what they were already doing. And I'm not kidding. Three weeks later, they're like, oh my God, you're never going to believe this. We have 60,000 followers now. And I was like, did something go viral that I don't know about? And they had a 16 year old son and he had said, oh, I can do this. And he just went and I don't know what you do. And <laughs> look at him. Everyone is obviously a fake account you know, just zillions and zillions of them. And I said, I'm, you've got to remove all of those people or we cannot work together. These are all fake. They're obviously fake. This is not what I meant. Delete them. And they didn't. And we're not really working together or we're not working together. <laughs> so I'm just like, it's ridiculous. I understand people wanting to do stuff like that. I do. Okay. If I was in my sister's house and it was the most beautiful diamond bracelet and it was sitting on the counter, would <laughs> I steal it? Yes. Lie later? I would. So I understand larceny. It's a tough act. I get sent these books. I open them. I am not exaggerating. I am looking at recipes that Cindy and I, sometimes that Cindy and I wrote 20 years ago from a Suzanne Summers book, because you remember Suzanne Summers had Summer Size, which was, she had tweaked Atkins, and then South Beach tweaked Suzanne Summers, and then Whole Foods showed up, and then Keto showed up. So it's all the same, you know what I mean? It's just an extenuation. And I see those recipes sometimes now in books that have sold Oh my God, they've sold 150,000 copies in a month and they have a huge following on a blog and they're not, I mean, they're fine. We still do satellite media tours. Is the talent exciting? No. Is the talent really knowledgeable? No. But you know, as you were saying, luck before, and there is a certain amount of being in the right place at the right time or having someone really, really believe in you. Mm -hmm. okay, whether it be a publisher, an agent. Right. <laughs> right. One thing I was thinking about in between the two segments is if you don't have a large platform, what can you do? Yes. And um, one is to work on the quality of your platform 
So small, but good, meaning you're engaged with other people that have larger followings that can help spread your word. Um, whether it's writing the forward or just even a shout out on social media or your buddies with a bunch of journalists and you can funnel them news or I don't know what, but so even if you have fewer, those people are worth so much more because they're, it just expands from them. And another thing is, is, so let's say you want to write a book on cooking for diabetes and you're a nutritionist and you've got all these letters behind your name and no one knows you or cares, but you write great recipes and maybe you're great at head notes and you're passionate about it and you want to do it. And of course, no one's going to buy your book, no publisher, because you've got 2000 followers and you're nobody, no offense, anybody. We're all nobodies in some way, <laughs> so, <laughs> but what you can do is, is there a doctor that has a presence that you can team up with who they would love to be a part of a book, but they're not going to write a cookbook, but they might write, I don't know, some chapter in your book and their name could be on the book and they would get a portion of the advance or whatever, but they would be a vehicle that helps you sell more. Plus it would add more credibility to have than a physician on board with you. Is there somebody that you can team up with on something in order to make your book be of interest to publishers. That's genius. Yes, absolutely. That's very helpful information. God, Martha, that, that makes me stop and think of the times that I should have done that with people that I was working with, but I didn't. Do you know what I mean? I mean, when I look back sometimes on, on missed opportunities and it's because I didn't want to, I don't know why I didn't want to do it, but that's a really, really good point. I have a actually an author that I don't think she'd mind if I, I shared this, um, who's a really good example of this. So super, super talented. And she worked for years in the test kitchen of Southern Living. She is behind the scenes on so many books. She's got her name on multiple books, but it's usually like a Southern Living or Coastal Living book. So it's it's really sold that way yeah. or where she's co-authored with a, a, a larger or some other kind of author. But uh, we decided to work together and I said, so what would you like to talk? What would you like to write about? And she said, butter. And I was like, I love butter. <laughs> However, at the time they're just a butter cookbook just came out like a beautiful book had just come out the year or so before. So I was like, I don't think the market has room for two butter books within three years. What else do you want to write about? And she said, Duke's. And I, I'm from Memphis. I was like, oh my God, Duke's mayonnaise. I love it. Yes, let's do this. I'm so excited. And so she didn't have a large platform at all. She had loads of experience. She had a passion for this topic. She definitely had inroads to get some media throughout the South in particular. And then we were able to get, and it took some doing to get Duke's on board and then we were able to sell this book for a very nice amount and had support all around. And it worked because of this, this pair. All the pieces came together. Yes. And I know that book and I know Ashley and it's fabulous. Fabulous. And, and she has worked very hard. Yeah. It's a wonderful book. It's a yeah. dark. I love it. Great I recipes. She styled it. She did all of it. I, I was so sad for multiple of my authors who came out really at the 
height of when COVID was shutting everything down and you're just like, what's happening? And really nobody knew what to do. I mean, they had so many things planned, tours, events, carrying on, and it all just went kaput. Now they're both really evergreen ideas. So I hope that they're able to replicate what they were going to do post COVID, but it still can be hard to get some of the actual media. I mean, you can always plan events, but it's technically old news, of course, to the media when it's a year and a half old. But I think that they they both have a really good chance of getting fresh media once they start rolling out new events. Well, honey, you know what? I think it's the quality. Also, there's got to be quality in the book, which I know they have. If you look at, at the height, uh, Tony Tipton Martin had just come out with Jubilee and COVID hit. Do you know what I mean? I mean, she died a couple of good months and COVID hit. And yet she's gone on to win the James Beard Award and just won the Julia, Julia Child Award. And that book's a year and a half old now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But it was also, it's classic. It's timely. Right. It doesn't matter. So I think that your authors can also pick up. COVID was an interruption for everyone. Right. Agreed. Agreed. You know? And I think that people can reach back and look yeah. at that. Good luck to them. Yeah, honey, I look at people. I, I, several of friends that friends that came out and they had traction and they had followers and they and we helped them with their books and they were on television and their book was in the same category of like when smitten kitten book came out and which is a great book and people love deborah perlman and she's wonderful and she's worked hard but their books just got blown up into smithereens <laughs> Do you know what I mean? it's like there is and when you were talking about luck and the lost path the last podcast one of the things that you just said that's really good martha is people also need to look at the market What's going on in the market? You just said, maybe there can't be two butter books in three years. So I think that 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 point you make, I think people, when they want to write a book, not only should they think of, is this a mass appeal? Is it bigger appeal? But also how many books are out there like that? Right. Yeah. I'm working right now with a production company on an idea that I have had for a TV show. Don't ask me why. The chances are one in 10 million. But... I do see a clear market in one place that hasn't been tapped. Now, it won't be long, okay? The opening is very narrow because people, I'm not the only person that thinks this way. But let me tell you something. Maybe it was working at PBS. I remember when I worked at PBS, they had Julia Child, they had Jacques Pepin, they had Martin Yan. So they didn't want another woman. They didn't want another French French guy and they didn't want another Asian. Do you see what I'm saying? It was that small of a market. But in reality, if you look at TV now, there's people, if they hit and they do well, they're not coming out with another show like that because the market can only absorb so much. That's something in publishing that I think that people always say, oh, I want to do a book of my mother's recipes. So... Unless your mother was Eleanor Roosevelt, they're cute, but they're vanity piece. I agree. I remember Bill LeBlanc saying this one day at some conference I was at, and he was right. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) wants to read. I made this at my grandmother's knee. I mean, even if it's true, it's just this like ubiquitous 
thing. And I will say though, so you do have to be careful about how saturated is the market, but you also don't want something such an outlier that people are like, no, why would anyone buy this? And then there's these anomalies that just, it doesn't even matter. It goes so bonkers, which would be like the Instapot. Yes. Literally people were just like printing money by putting anything (laughs) in it. I cannot tell you how many jillions of Instapot. Well, you know, cookbooks have come out and it's, they were all jumping in because they just kept selling. They just, when you see, when they start doing two and three and four at the same house, it's because the first one sold and they're just like, we got to, you know, we got to keep doing this. You're absolutely correct. Now, so Martha, talk for a minute because of self-publishing. When some of the points you've already made, one of the things that I think that's so amazing, and you've shown me this, if you really have a burning desire to publish a book, and after we've made fun of it, and the recipes are the ones you learned from your mother's at your mother's knee. Correct. People can, in this day and age, self-publish now pretty painlessly and come out with a nice product. You know what I would say, I mean, head notes are such an important component to like, they, they tell the story, but the story that I care more about at this point is I might care about real history. Yes. That's not about my family. I, I don't mind some stories thrown in there about, oh, I, my mom made it, but I really love to know why, you know, beans instead of black eyed peas. And here's why, and it actually be based on some real reason because one is starchier. You just, it works better with the okra or I don't know what, any kind of science or just thoughtfulness behind why the recipe is put together the way it is versus any other way it could be. So that we can all pretend like it's a new recipe, even though it isn't. Let me tell you what you're really doing when you say that, Martha. Science or history or the availability or a seasonal thing or whatever, or the quality of that. And you tell that in head note, that's teaching people. Okay. Right. Cookbooks used to be about teaching people before they became just an avenue for people. Do you know what I mean? To be able to. Now, tell us a little bit about self-publishing. Yeah, sure. A couple of things. First of all, if you are to look at our example where we did everything, Randall and Martha, um, you have to know that we came from a background where both the two of us together combined had all the skill sets you need to do a book. So that was just helpful. <laughs> that cut out a lot of people that we would have had to hire. I didn't have to hire a writer. I didn't have to hire an editor. I didn't have to hire a food stylist or a, um, cause we were doing special kind of styling and I didn't have to hire a graphic designer and I'd worked for a printer and all these things together that made it just doable. So don't feel bad. If you like feel overwhelmed by it, you just need to look at all the components that are required for self-publishing. So number one is a come up with an idea to write it, test it, edit it, dial it, shoot it, design it, index it, print it, distribute it, to give stores, distribute it to bookstores, distribute it online and sell it yourself, then do the PR and the marketing, which you have to do anyway, if you go with a regular publisher. So there's all these things. So you need to sit down and figure out which of those you can do yourself and which you have to hire out. And then you have to, um, you know what it reminds me of? You did do it for less weddings. And the whole point of weddings is we can all spend, I could have had a million dollar wedding, but instead I did not do that. 
had a very small wedding and there's all these components and you just can't have it all on your budget. You have to figure out what your budget is. And by that, I mean your time budget, your monetary budget, your just own ability budget and see what you can do, see what you can't do and see if it all makes sense. So with printing, you know, you're going to want a four color book. Four color means it's full color. If you print it, people will say, oh, I want to do it digitally. Well, a color book printed digitally is cost prohibitive. Paying $50 a unit, no one is going to buy your book for $60. Then you make $10. Like it, it just doesn't work. Half doesn't work. So then you want to print in the U.S. It's really expensive to print in the U.S., so you want to go to China, but China, well, we just had a big fiasco where we couldn't get anything back and forth from China, but that's going to be much cheaper. It's cheaper than Canada, which is another option, but is faster. And so you want to be looking at these places you can print and printing as few as you can. So they do not all rot in your garage. If you're self-publishing, I think the first question before even distribution is just like, how are you going to market the book? And who is going to buy it? And then literally, that's what we do with intercourses, go backwards because you're the salesperson. So the salespeople at the publishers don't care what the book is. They want the book to sell whatever the topic you are the publisher. So you need the book to sell first and foremost, or if you don't need the book to sell, just do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter. Spend all your money, hire me. That'll be great. But um, if you, you look backwards and say, what, is it going to take to market this book and to get it to consumers and why are they going to buy it? And then you answer that need with the content and you just build from there. So I would say print as few as you can, where you can still have the margin you need. And you know, you're like, Oh, I'll sell it on Amazon. Well, if you've looked lately at how you sell on Amazon, they take a huge percentage of your book. And if they, if you're not distributing through them and you're fulfilling it yourself, it's still outrageous. And if you want to be on prime, which is all I buy, then it requires all these other rigmarole. It's such an ordeal. So you're still making very, very little. And if you need to break even, you need to run a return on investment, know what's going to happen. So you want to print as few as you can get away with that's at a price that'll work for you. And if you say, well, I'm just going to sell it at events. And on my website, well, I don't know how many people you have coming to your website, but there's enough people coming to your website to actually buy all the books you need to, you could work with a regular publisher, (laughs) you know, I'm not saying self-publishing is bad. Actually for us, it was a lot better. We made a lot more money. If you have the right outlets, if you're on a podcast and have lots of people buying from you, or if you're always at events or whatever it is, there's ways where you can make a lot more money obviously self-publishing than traditionally publishing, but you do have to wear the hat of the publisher and not everyone has the bandwidth to do that. When you just mentioned all the jobs that people have to do to be a self-publisher successful, Martha, I mean, you mentioned things that people think, oh, I never thought of that. Do you know what I mean? And that they just never even thought about it. The other thing is your biggest point, and I think it's a distribution Oh, I'll, ha- I'll print 5,000 copies. I'm going to sell it at the farmer's market and stuff. Okay, now, so whatever it costs you. And this is something else to consider. I call it the equation of life. Getting excited to sell a book that you wrote five years ago gets harder. 
get excited about selling a book you wrote 10 years ago. So you still have 2000 books in your garage because you know what you found out at the farmer's market? You sold three on a good day. Yeah, it can be rough. It can be rough. But if it is part of your larger life plan that you want to write a book and you want it to look exactly the way you want it to, and whatever reason you come up with, those are valid reasons. You just have to understand what you're signing up for and don't turn around to whoever and say, why are there 3,000 books in my garage? <laughs> we all have the stories where their publisher decided that they weren't going to republish their books. So they bought the last 2,500 in the warehouse. You and I've been here. And then you just, you're tripping over them. Actually, you're kind of hoping the garage will flood so you can catch on fire, right? And get some homeowner's insurance. I mean, it's kind of like a kitchen that's not making money. Why do you think they always catch on fire? I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It is hard. Darling, and it's wonderful. And thank God, Martha, for you, because you have made many people's dreams come true. Well, you know, I sometimes worry. I'm such a pragmatist, which might translate as a Debbie Downer, but I just feel like managing expectations is so, so important. And doing a book is, can be exhilarating. And I'll say, no matter what the book is, the first time it arrives and you hold it for the first time, now, granted, I don't have children, but I'm like, <laughs> it can feel just so exciting. And so such a sense of accomplishment and it's right there on paper and it's not going anywhere. Honey, I feel, I say that to people when their first book comes out, especially their first, I said, when you hold that, you may never get this feeling again, as long as you live. Okay. The sense of, and there is a historical factor to it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Marvelous feeling. Yes. Well, my darling, unfortunately people, Martha used to, and I used to get, when I still guest chefed on Holland America, <laughs> Martha was my roommate a couple of times and we had some of the best trips in the world and all I can say is this if you could if you're still friends after it's been she's been your agent and you stay in even when it's a suite the smallest rooms in captivity on cruise ships and you can still be friends you get each other well you can definitely be friends when your friends take you on a cruise for free <laughs> And then when they order room service every morning for breakfast and Denise is a morning person, I'm a night person. She'll, she'll wake up at like four o'clock in the morning. I swear to God, I don't even know when she wakes up. I wear an eye mask and my earplugs. And then at night I'm up till 1am reading or whatever. But when I wake up, she's left some tea for me and toast and fruit and whatever I need. So it's a match made in heaven, honestly. Those were good days, Martha. Good days. And Holland America, um, of course, then they went with that America's Test Kitchen. No one's ever heard of them instead of hiring us. But <laughs> never mind. I'm not bitter as much as I'm letting on. Anyway, I'm more bitter than I'm letting on. I, I want to say something that I think is oh. really important. Denise, um, for me, is somebody who, if I have any questions about anything, the stuff that you're not supposed to be able to ask colleagues, like, money. How much did that cost? How much did you charge? Whatever. Deep, real detailed stuff that most people aren't comfortable sharing. We can share that with each other. And I have about four other people that fit into those categories. They're in different silos of my life, but I, they can ask me things. 
I can ask them things and it's a vulnerable place. Like you don't ever want to admit you're supposed to know. So why should you have to ask? But I just think the way that Denise and I just fell into it after 20 something years of working together, but two of them, they're people that are like competitors. It's another agent. And I called her up and I was like, Hey, I am looking for an agent friend that I can call and ask anything I want and that they can ask me anything they want. And we're just going to open kimono here. And she said, okay. And we just do it. And we're not like close friends. I mean, I probably talk to her once a year, but when I get stumped with something or I'm in a situation, I don't quite know what to do. And, you know, I'm really there to advocate as best I can for all my authors. And I'm just like, ah, what do I do? And I'll call her up and she'll do the same with me. And we just share. And I would just want to encourage everyone, especially all of us women of a certain age to just ask, ask somebody, be willing to be vulnerable. I'm not about letting it all hang out with everybody, but just pick somebody and try to form that relationship so that you have someone to bounce bad ideas off of or ask a question or whatever, and just not be afraid to do that. It's been so helpful to me. And that is not luck. That is doing something to help yourself. So well said, Martha. And you know what? I, at any age, if women trust women and the, the trust is returned, it makes all the difference in your, in your life, in your career. Well, my darling, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. And of course, to see your darling face makes it even better. So Martha Hopkins, we all, we do, you know, where everybody goes, Martha, is the Facebook page. That's where people spend more time than anything. Um, And if they want to talk to you, we'll put them in touch with you, but we put your information up there. And of course, people can, you know, seek you out and email us at womenbeyond at icloud.com and ask us questions. And honey, thank you for everything today. Thank you. And I would just say, if anyone has questions about agent, you know, being represented or packaging where you're looking for people who are going to put a book together, we do that as well. Feel free to um, ping me and Thank you so much for having me on, Denise. I love you so much. I love you so much. And thank you, Miss Cindy. And listen, uh, we'll be in touch. And everyone, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Cindy gives me the number sometimes, which means nothing to me. Okay. And I thought, you mean, we got that many listeners without putting, you know, nachos on a countertop? (laughs) TikTok. I'm thinking of doing TikToks. That's all I want. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit in the in my kitchen and I'm going to throw pieces of bologna and cheese and bread and call it a sandwich. And I'm then I'm going to do this. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. So people <laughs> look forward to that. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Bye, honey. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for everything. Bye, Martha.